Hello, and welcome to episode 174 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Ambassador Martin DeHinden, Swiss Ambassador to the United States since 2014. Uh, Ambassador DeHinden is also the former director of the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation and is the former head of management for the Swiss Foreign Ministry. Ambassador DeHinden is also um, a diplomat who has served in Paris, Geneva, Brussels, Lagos, and Bern, and is the former director of the Geneva Center for Humanitarian Demining. Ambassador DeHinden, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm very fine. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? I would say I'm here to represent uh, Switzerland, my country in the United States. Mm -hmm. This is for us a very important and long-standing relation. The United States and Switzerland are the oldest democracy on the globe, and you still can feel it even in your daily life. Oldest democracy. Often uh, American school children are taught that democracy started with the Greek city-state, but in fact it was the Swiss canton in which the democracy st started? No, uh, historically, uh, of course, you had the model of the Greek city-state, but you have also the model of uh, the Roman Republic and the Republic of Venice. Mm -hmm. But these are historic states. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking about states that have a continuation up to the present day. And when you look at those, mm -hmm. you would find out that the United States after 1789 and Switzerland after 1848 have constitutions that are still valid uh, today and statehoods that had a continuity ever since then. Interesting. So there's a long 150-year tradition of democracy in Switzerland with a constitution that was drafted in 1848? Exactly. And we were looking very closely to the U.S. Constitution. This was at that time the only, uh, to some extent, living model. And uh, this is the reason why some of the institutions, not all of the institutions, look very similar. So we have a two-chamber system and uh, two senators per canton, and then we have uh, another chamber that is very much like the House of Representatives. Uh, we have a kind of a federal system where our cantons have a similar role like the states in the United States. So you see a lot of different patterns, even so the countries are different, have a different history, and are on a different continent. Do different cantons have their own state legislatures in Switzerland? Exactly, and their own kind of constitution. Interesting. So they, it's very much the American model. What would you say, I, I guess it, it's not, perhaps some of our listeners may not be aware of the influence that American democracy has had on the Swiss democratic model um, and, and, of course, I would imagine that that has led to strong diplomatic relations between the two countries for a period of time. Is that, is that the case? Was there, I guess, were there Swiss delegations that came to the United States to try to find, uh, I guess, a, a ground a exploratory mission to, to learn about how to create the Swiss Constitution? I mean, there are Swiss people here. And, uh, and 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 bringing back, uh, let's say, uh, let's say the knowledge, mm -hmm. and there were even Swiss. Uh, one particularly, uh, Albert Gallatin, 
who was very active in that time, a citizen of Geneva, the longest serving secretary of the treasury, and you can still find his statue in front of the treasury. So these were connections that go back for a very long time. Interesting. And also, I'll, I'll just note that having a public health background, I've learned that some of the most similar models in terms of healthcare delivery systems in the world to the American model are the German and the Swiss models, which are primarily employment-based um, models, but except that the Swiss model has universal health insurance coverage. Is that, is that the case as well? I mean, there's such a strong similar, similarity with the healthcare delivery system in Switzerland? I'm not aware of that, and I think the, the systems are probably quite different. We have a, a, a general type of uh, coverage, but then still we have competitions. There are different, uh, different providers. But I think uh, you cannot say that it's, it's something like copy-paste, that we would have copied the U.S. system or, or vice versa. I think they are quite different and have also a different history. So let's pivot a bit into the relationship between Switzerland and the United States and your function here as ambassador representing Switzerland and the United States. How would you characterize that relationship and what are some of the main objectives and missions of your presence here in the United States? They are very good. There is on on the political level. There are, I would say, no uh, no, no problems in between the country. Uh, what is the most outstanding one are the economic ties, and mm-hmm. they are very they are growing. Switzerland is number seven investor in the United States. Something neither uh, the Swiss public knows nor the American public uh, public knows. It's much uh, bigger than you would think uh, of Switzerland. Switzerland is, is, a, is a country with uh, eight-something million inhabitants. Now, UBS is a large Swiss bank. Does that account for a significant proportion of the investment in the American economy? I would, it's important, but it's not the financial sector, not the banks and the insurance that are the most important ones. If you take the figures, the most important ones are the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry uh, that did huge investments. I would also say that the whole area of metal processing is very important, uh, but also nutrition with companies like uh, Nestle. They are almost active in, 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 in every state in the United States. It's a broad portfolio of very different activities and not concentrated on one industry only. So I guess, how would you explain what accounts for the wide amount of uh, foreign direct investment of the Swiss in the American economy and of uh, potentially American companies in Switzerland? Is that something that... Knowledge-based, and we see many cases where an investment... Uh, gives a, a special advantage so that the Swiss company could find a partnership uh, to further develop their own model to uh, start uh, to produce here in Switzerland. And the other the way around, uh, Switzerland is an interesting place for investment. We are a country uh, where we speak uh, three major European languages, French, German, and Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to some, and we are situated in the middle of Europe, even so we are not member of the, of the European Union. And I think this is an advantage. And what people also find, or companies also find in Switzerland, is a well-educated labor force. 
Switzerland's universities are among the top universities in Europe, mm -hmm. but we have also a very well-developed uh, uh, apprenticeship program where you can find uh, the labor skill that is very often uh, decisive to develop an industry. So $200 billion of cumulative investment in the United States and a half billion United States jobs being created from Swiss investment is something that's quite uh, impressive. Uh, transitioning to a, to actually your background in business, now you have a background in, in, in banking and also in publishing. Um, does that grant you greater credibility when you're trying to facilitate different investments in, in the United States and Switzerland? Also, my background is, and this is something very uh, unique for a diplomat, so, okay, so you have this background that's very valuable in, uh, in uh, business, in both banking and in publishing. And uh, I guess, how is it that you're able to move from banking and publishing into the foreign service? You're working with a large bank, you've been working with a publishing house on books, and then somehow you are able to transition to the foreign service. How is that uh, possible? I know that you have a great history in being a diplomat in many different... So can you speak about the transition between one and the other? Yes. I was always a person who was interested in a lot of things, mm -hmm. art, history, but management, economics, uh, politics. And uh, the job of a diplomat gives you the opportunity to work in very different areas. I have worked in, in trade, in security policy, mm -hmm. in classical bilateral issues with development cooperation. And uh, therefore, I found this was the, the kind of job I, I liked very much. And then what I also liked very much is to have the opportunity to move around, mm -hmm. not to stay for uh, my whole life in the place I was born. Yeah. And uh, I, found this, I found this exciting. And then I, I applied. Uh, let's say we have a kind of a selection and, and I was lucky it's always a lot of luck uh -huh. uh, with it it depends on how many people would apply and, and, and what kind of questions you are asked I was not very sure on whether I would stay for the, the whole rest of my professional life yeah. a, a diplomat but I found it then so excited that, uh, that more or less uh, so quite soon uh, the idea to quit the diplomatic service faded away. Not very many ambassadors also have PhDs. Some do, but you are an academic. You were able to invest a lot of time in your educational background, um, and then you were able to do... This is almost your third or fourth career, really. So it just occurred to you, you know what, I'd like to see the world, and, and the way to do that is to join the Swiss Foreign Service, and I'll just take the test, and you worked your way up through the ranks. Yeah, you see, when, when you were doing a PhD and I was, uh, I was also working in the university in the same time, mm -hmm. it gives you a, a skill. And what, what is probably the most valuable thing you learn when you're writing a PhD mm -hmm. is the methodology to, to, to ponder, to deal with a lot of information, to, mm -hmm. uh, uh, let's say, get out a concept and an explanation out of, uh, of, of a lot of facts. And this is something I think I learned a lot with. And it's not so much the published thesis that is important, but what I learned as a person. And this is something I thought brought me forward. So, and, okay, and then, so transitioning a little bit to Switzerland as a neutral country, not being part of the EU, a lot of American relations with Europe right now are defined between the relationship 
with United States and the European Union. There's been lots of tumult with the Brexit. A few years ago, there was a threat of the Grexit with Greece. Um, Italy also had financial woes. And Switzerland has been removed from all of this. It doesn't participate in the Eurozone. Um, it's not part of the European Union. It has its own unique relationship um, with Europe, with the United States. Sometimes um, this embassy has potentially, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, served um, as a location to conduct diplomatic relations with those nations do not have a formal diplomatic presence in the United States. I'm not sure if Iran might be part of that um, list. Mm-hmm. The Swiss have often been um, a convener. They've been uh, independent and they've been uh, separate from a lot of what's been going on uh, in European affairs. Can you speak about the unique position that that neutrality uh, presents in your relationship with the United States and your presence here um, when the Swiss diplomat in the, as part of the Swiss diplomatic mission. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we have chosen to stay neutral. It's a permanent neutrality, mm-hmm. not an occasional one, and this is also the reason why the main reason why we did not join NATO, why we did not join uh, the European Union. Mm-hmm. But uh, being neutral does not mean uh, that you're turning uh, your back on the world. Mm -hmm. For us, it means that we have a special status and we are also, given that special status, taken particular responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned the so-called good offices. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had in difficult times very often served as a kind of a go-between in between countries. Mm -hmm. This was until 2015 the case in between Cuba and the United States. This is a mandate that is over. It it has been finished when the United States have resumed diplomatic relations with Cuba. Mm -hmm. It is still the case with Iran where my colleagues in Tehran uh, are taking care Uh, if need be, of American citizens, of double nationals, and where we are serving uh, to do communications in between the two governments. This is something you could not do as a state being party, let's say, of an an alliance. But it is more than this. Uh, Look uh, at the International Geneva. It's very often a meeting place for international negotiations. This goes far back... uh, uh, mainly in the time after, uh, back to the time after uh, the First World War and even before. It's a neutral ground uh, we, we are making available and uh, we try uh, to be, to be a, a good host, host and to facilitate, mm-hmm. uh, facilitate contacts. And this is very much part of our DNA. And yet, not being part of NATO, it's interesting that you were... Uh, formerly the deputy head of the Swiss mission to NATO. So even though you're not a member, there have been missions to NATO. Can you elaborate on that? Exactly. Very often uh, you have uh, you have missions to organizations you are not member of. I am here to delegate to the OAS, the mm-hmm. Organization of American States. Of course, we're not an American state and not member. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a diplomatic mission with the European Union to mm-hmm. deal with all the issues we have with the European Union and this was uh, very is very much the same with NATO. We have relations uh, with NATO. There are people who are dealing with NATO. And in the time uh, I was there in the late 1990s, this was the time of the Balkan Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of interactions. We had mainly 
humanitarian operations at that time, but of course those humanitarian, uh, uh, those humanitarian operations had to be coordinated with NATO. We were with, with our supply uh -huh. uh, in Kosovo, for instance, during the period the air war in Kosovo, the NATO air war was going on. It seems as though there are many countries that trust Switzerland to be a neutral arbiter and convener uh, between times of conflict. Um, I know that you have a particular interest in being the former director of the Geneva Center for Humanitarian Do Mining and Human Rights. Of course, uh, following World War II, there's the famous Geneva Convention, which outlined a number of human rights. Is there a correlation between an emphasis on human rights in Switzerland and the ability for your nation to be a neutral convener that seems to be a very mm. trusted source that will be uh, fair to all parties involved? I mean, human, human right is one issue, and mm -hmm. uh, we could speak along about this. What we are focusing, particularly in Geneva, is humanitarian law. So this means the law that is applicable in a situation of uh, war. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, the Geneva Conventions of uh, 1949 and the previous conventions, the International Red Cross, mm -hmm. uh, that has the birthplace in, in Geneva, uh, are very important and the work you mentioned, uh, the work I did when I was director of the Geneva Center for Humanitarian Demining mm -hmm. was very much along those thinkings. We uh, supported the implementation of the Mine Ban Treaty, mm -hmm. which is mainly a humanitarian treaty to avoid uh, that people are killed and maimed by this uh, horrible weapon, but then also support uh, action mm -hmm. against uh, the effects of this hor horrible weapon. Now, there aren't too many mines that are used, I, I would assume. There are no landmines that are used in Switzerland. How is it that Switzerland has taken such a leading role on these issues of human rights around the world? Because of, the, of our humanitarian tradition. It's very much linked to issues like the Red Cross, like uh, rules of war, mm -hmm. uh, 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 like uh, rules in armed conflict. This was basically the starting point of our commitment. Now, when you speak about war, in America, the Swiss army knife is pretty much all we know of the Swiss military. Is there a Swiss army that uses the knife? Is there a military presence um, in Switzerland? That, or, or is this a country, um, I know some nations, and if, for instance, I believe Costa Rica, has no military whatsoever and are able to direct mm -hmm. their investments elsewhere. In Switzerland, um, I... Being a place with perhaps potentially a limited military, I know there's the Swiss Guard for the Holy See in Rome. Um, I guess you know it's interesting that you would be that Switzerland would be creating rules of war when they may have limited involvement in wars. Can you speak? Uh, this has not always been uh, like this. I mean, Switzerland was in the old time a very poor country, hmm. and. Uh, so a lot of people were working abroad as mercenaries. This hmm. has stopped in the, in, in the 19th century. And uh, the Swiss Guards of the Pope is to some extent something going back. I mean, this is for over 500 years, mm -hmm. the Swiss Guard is there. So probably the longest uninterrupted uh, uh, military presence of any country in the world. What we are doing, we have a military and we are defending our border. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we have a compulsory military service uh, still in Switzerland. 
uh, with, with, with modern weapons very much uh, designed to our our own defense uh, our own defense needs mm -hmm. so it's not that switzerland has no army yeah but we are not let's say uh, given our status of neutrality uh, intervening with armed forces in in international conflicts so i'd like to transition more into your life uh ambassador dahinden uh, we already spoke a little bit about your academic experience and your experience in banking um, and publishing and then, and then transitioning into your experience as a, a diplomat in many different nations. I'm wondering... Um, um, cities were connected with a telegraph. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't need embassies anymore. Right. This discussion came again with, uh, with, with the facts, with the internet and of course today as well. Uh, what, uh, what is an ambassador basically doing and what is an embassy basically doing? Uh, it's, it's, it's about providing information to people you speak. Mm -hmm. It's about uh, reporting and you would do your job uh, not in the right way if you would just in a certain way uh, parallel or compete uh, with the media. Mm -hmm. The kind of specific information we are uh, giving back is not the kind of information you would find in the newspapers. We would also speak to other people because we have very, uh, let's say, specific interests. This is uh, one thing. And now imagine uh, a situation where uh, the President of the United States speaks to a head of state mm -hmm. in, a, in another country. I mean, this happens not just like this. Mm -hmm. There is uh, a lot of preparation going on behind. Uh, on both sides, there are briefings. There is a thorough assessment of uh, a, a possible objectives of a discussion and so on. And this is just why you need, uh, to some extent, embassies people who are on the spot and have an in-depth knowledge in what what can happen. So I'm not, uh, let's say, I don't fear that the role mm -hmm. uh, would be diminished. And if you look back in history, every time when something new came, mm -hmm. people assumed you would do the same thing. And now it's a new device here. Mm -hmm. And so you wouldn't need the whole apparatus, mm -hmm. but it proved uh, to be wrong. So, Ambassador DeHinden, as we approach the end of this podcast, I'd like to ask you a final question, which is um, to suppose that you are speaking um, to uh, an assembly of Swiss citizens from your hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd like you to take a moment and speak to these citizens about um, the importance of public service and how there's so many different ways from uh, your work in banking and publishing to late in, later in life becoming a diplomat and that you don't necessarily need to dedicate your whole career to um, advancement of the public interest through a government type job. But I'd like you to take a moment and speak to these uh, neighbors of yours about why it is you have sought to advance the public interest through the foreign service, what you hope you have accomplished and what you hope at the end of the day um, your legacy will be for having served and represented the Swiss people abroad. Yeah. Uh, so first, I think uh, it is very important for a society and also for an economy 
that you have uh, governmental structures that are working well. Mm-hmm. I have been in many places, developing countries, where not the lack of natural resources were the problem, but the lack of uh, governance, and this is considered uh, up to the present day as the most important challenge. So this is a kind of, uh, I think, motivation to serve the country in a public function. And then, of course, when uh, you are choosing, uh, let's say, to be a diplomat, you are carrying out this kind of duty, this service abroad. Mm -hmm. But I have also to tell you uh, that it's very fascinating, and this was for me a kind of motivation. It's not that I just uh, uh, are bored here, but I want to serve my people. No, it's something something I like very much Mm -hmm. to do and, and find important in the same time. So that has been Ambassador Mark, the um, Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation, and the former head of management for the Swiss Foreign Ministry. Uh, he's also a, uh, dip- a diplomat who has served in Paris, Geneva, Brussels, Lagos, and Bern, and is a former director of the Geneva Center for Humanitarian Demining, who speaks about his fascination with uh, international affairs, going around uh, the world and traveling, leaving his Swiss cantons to represent Swiss interests abroad. He speaks about the unique opportunity he has as a Swiss ambassador to serve as an ombudsman between the American uh, government and, and other nations with whom America does not have diplomatic relations. This permanent neutrality, um, presents him a unique opportunity as an ambassador to uh, advance the public interest, not only of Swiss citizens, but of citizens of Iran, uh, formerly of Cuba, and of course American citizens, um, providing them dialogue where, with his absence, dialogue too would be absent. He speaks about the importance of human rights and the Swiss um, tradition, both of, uh, of, of democracy and of Uh, protecting human rights, the importance of each and every one of us in society and ensuring that uh, individual rights are protected. And uh, he speaks also about the importance of good governance uh, and and, and also in being a a means to uh, promote economic development. Uh, uh, Swiss having a great economic interest in the United States and vice versa. Uh, the two countries have become reliant on each other uh, economically from a, uh, with, with their trade interests, and the ambassador has worked well to promote those trade interests. So um, in the end, Ambassador Dahinden uh, has promoted the public interest, um, both in the private sector and the public sector, seeking in many varied ways to advance the public interest, but also taking great enjoyment um, from his ability to uh, advance the public interest. So, Ambassador Dahinden, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And this has been Episode 174 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'd like to remind you to subscribe at publicinterestpodcast.com, listen on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And should you wish to respond to this conversation, welcome to leave an up to three-minute message for Public Interest Podcast at 240-630-0380, and that message could be put on publicinterestpodcast.com. Um, should you wish to support this podcast, you're welcome to contribute on publicinterestpodcast.com at an amount that you feel comfortable with. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.